coming up on the Shark Fighter podcast, we'll hear from Dan and Barbara Meridian and a case of sarcoidosis that makes every day a question. And my doctor looked at me and she just laughed. Like, <laughs> she was like, you're kidding me, right? Like, she's like, no, that, that, you, you can't do that. Like, that's not an option for you. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling. Barbara's fight with Sark, how she is thriving in the face of it, and Dan's amazing efforts at caregiving and fundraising for FSR. Find a way to try and adapt your life. It's not the why, but the how that plagues my mind. A new perspective. Appreciate what you've got With dead men walking in an instant It could be gone And I don't know what will come Look for silver linings but still I find none The worst potential Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sark Fighter Podcast. This is episode 14 and I am recording this on July 31st of 2020. You're hearing the official Sark Fighter song called Zombie by Mark Steyer and the White Hot Lizards. And Mark is a fellow Sark Fighter. You can hear his amazing story and the inspiration for the song. That's back in episode 12. If you haven't listened to that yet, you might want to give that a listen. But thanks so much to Mark and the Lizards for the song Zombie. Now, I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting Sark. So are you, whether you're a caregiver, a patient, a researcher, pharmaceutical company, somehow trying to find a way to make everybody's life better with uh, their dealings with sarcoidosis and, and fighting it every day. And we're going to hear an amazing story in Barbara about that today. Of course, if you're new to the Shark Fighter podcast, this is a place that uh, we can gather as uh, people fighting this disease, again, in whatever capacity that that, that happens to be. Uh, I know that I've heard over and over from sarcoidosis patients that uh, although there are 200,000 of us or so in the United States, that a lot of people feel like they are fighting this alone. They don't know anybody else who has sarcoidosis. And so it's just a place that we can gather, and normally I try to release a, a new episode every other Monday, so uh, every second Monday. Now, if you're wondering, by the way, if you are more at risk from COVID-19 because you have sarcoidosis, of course, most of us are taking medications that suppress our immune systems. Uh, you should listen to my interview with Dr. Robert Boffman from the University of Cincinnati, uh, that's episode nine, and uh, he has been one of the first people to release research on the uh, particulars of SARC patients versus COVID-19. That's episode nine, so one of the back 
episodes here. Now, I do want to get to my interview with Barbara and Dan Meridian of Chicago as quickly as I can. She is an amazing fighter. You'll be hearing her talk about how her case, like many, started out being undiagnosed even when she passed out in the shower and had to be rushed to the hospital. She was discovered uh, by her young son uh, and and then rushed to the hospital when that was the beginning of her symptoms. But it took a long time to figure out that it was Sark. She'll, she'll be talking about that story. And then Dan is a fellow cyclist. Uh, you guys know if you've been listening that uh, I like to ride my bike and I have a, a blog called Carlin the Cyclist. And within the blog, I have a whole series of posts dedicated to cycling with sarcoidosis. And so um, he is a fellow cyclist and he's been riding his bike some great distances and by doing that, raising thousands and thousands of dollars for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Uh, and as always, uh, there'll be information on how you can support his efforts, and that'll all be in the show notes. And he's got, uh, you can follow him on Instagram and some other places as well. Uh, I do have to mention that if you're hearing something in the background, I have a, a new boxer puppy, and his teeth are coming in, and I've just given him a rawhide chew. And I apologize, but... <laughs> I can make him go away, but he's just going to keep coming back. So if you hear that in the background, that's what it is. And and I'm sorry about that. Uh, it is kind of comical. And uh, at least when he's chewing on the bone, he's not chewing on one of my shoes. So um, uh, again, if you hear that in the background, chomp, chomp, chomp. That's what it is. Hey, I mentioned in the last podcast that uh, I had been feeling the onset of a flare for my SARC, which is on my spinal cord on the back of my neck. Since then, I did travel seven hours from my home in the western part of Virginia up to the Cleveland Clinic for a meeting and exam with my neurologist, uh, Dr. Moss, uh, who was a sarcoidosis specialist. He does not think it's a flare, so that's good news. Hopefully, you know, no prednisone for me, yay. Uh, but he is not sure what's causing the odd sensations that I'm having in my back. And the last time I had these sensations, it was a flare. Um, he is going to go ahead and change up my medicine. I guess this is just in, just in case. I was on Remicade for quite a while, and I've been on Humira for close to a year now. And he thinks, well, let's, let's go back to the Remicade um, and see if that apparently he feels like by looking at my record, that's when I was doing the best, and I, I think that's probably true. I started to get some heightened liver issues, enzymes, um, and so they took me off the Remicade, but I think they want to go back at a, uh, a little bit lower dose, a little bit more often is the idea, and see if that'll work. And then I'm still on uh, azathioprine uh, or Imurand, so they're going to keep me on that, so I'm kind of fighting this on two fronts. Uh, I'm still feeling about the same, but I'm up and active. I've been able to ride my bike a couple hundred miles here in July, which was my goal. And uh, I tried to do that in June. It didn't work out, but I, I did get to 200 miles in July, so yay me. Um, and I've been working on avoiding anti-inflammatory foods, uh, which is something that I've been talking about in the previous a couple of, of episodes, and I got to say that I do feel better. Uh, my legs feel less sarky, which is my word, um, when I even you know, just have a salad for lunch, something like that, uh, maybe with some uh, grilled chicken on it. Uh, pizza seems to make me feel bad, but then there's, you think you look at pizza, there's a lot of inflammatory foods there with the processed flour and processed meats and the heavy cheese and the grease and 
Uh, I have just noticed that when I have a slice of pizza for dinner, I feel awful for you know the next few hours. Uh, and the same thing, I just had, I, I broke down and I had an Italian sub this week from a great local sub shop. But again, bread, processed meats, and I felt awful for about four hours afterwards. So there might be something to that. Uh, I'd mentioned in the last uh, uh, podcast, the last episode, uh, there's a blog post by Athena Merritt looking at anti-inflammatory foods, and I'll, uh, I'll bring those links forward for you in the show notes as well. And also Andrea Wilson, the founder of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, has been graciously providing me with lists of foods that I should probably avoid. I can't say that I've been super good about it, uh, but uh, I'm being better. And I'm starting to really look for things and, and see if there is a cause and effect. And right now I can tell you that pizza and the uh, my beloved Italian subs are probably not great for me in terms of the way that I feel right after I eat them. All right. Having said all that, just wanted to give you an update. I hope by me sharing some of that information, maybe it helps you. Apologize once again for Dougal chewing on his rawhide chew in the background. It's it's really obnoxious while I'm sitting here. I don't know if you can hear it, but it does sound obnoxious. And coming up, my interview with Barbara and Dan Meridian right after this. The Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is the nation's leading nonprofit organization dedicated to finding the cure for this disease and to improving care for sarcoidosis patients worldwide. Since its establishment in 2000, FSR has fostered over $5 million in sarcoidosis-specific research efforts and has provided disease education and support for thousands of individuals navigating life with sarcoidosis. Learn more about FSR and how they're supporting those impacted by this disease at www.stopsarcoidosis.org. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter podcast. I am uh, pleased today to introduce to you a couple uh, who are fighting sarcoidosis, one in the role of patient, one in the role of caregiver uh, and fundraiser. And uh, joining me now are Dan and Barbara Meridian. And guys, thank you for joining me today on the Sark Fighter podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. So now, you guys, uh, where do you live? Uh, We live in Chicago. You do? Okay, great. Uh, how's the weather in Chicago here in July? We're in the middle of a heat wave in Virginia. Hot and muggy. <laughs> yeah. It's actually pretty nice right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm not complaining. Call us in February and yeah. ask us the same question. <laughs> yeah. I think I know, I'll know that answer. I grew up outside of Syracuse, so I, yep. I had my share of cold weather and I got south as soon as I could. <laughs> hey, so, uh, uh, Barbara, you are the Sark patient here in this equation. Um, yeah. And you have uh, had sarcoidosis probably longer than you've been diagnosed. Can oh, you, yeah. So you, you were telling me here that um, you passed out in the shower once, and that was your yeah. first big bell that was ringing yeah. saying something's wrong here. What yeah. was going on? Yeah, that day I just, I didn't feel good. And I just thought maybe like I had some like congestion happening or cold or something. And so I thought, okay, let me go just take a, you know, a hot shower and see if that'll make me feel better. I have like just 
moments of memory. Like I remember like the fire department coming and I remember like first getting to the emergency room, but that's, that's pretty much it. Like, I don't remember any of that week pretty much. So you she passed out, me. you passed out in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah, called, she, my called son, me, uh, yeah she called me that morning and she was like, I'm having trouble breathing. And I was like, maybe you should get that looked at. <laughs> okay. And then by middle of the day, yeah. uh, our son, Jeremy, uh, who yeah. was, he was probably about eight or nine years old at the time. Mm -hmm. um, he called me back and said, I, mom, mom's asleep. Mom passed out in the, in the bathroom. And I said, what? And so I, you know, rushed home immediately and found her there unconscious in the bathroom. We called 911 and, uh, and the, you know, the, the emergency responders came, they, you know, took her to the, to the nearest hospital um, and began treating her. And she was in, she was in the hospital that time for about a week, actually. Yeah. And did they discover sarcoidosis at that time? No, no, they didn't. They continued down the path of asthma. Um, yeah. And they just put me on albuterol and Flovent. And did, first of all, did those help at least a little or not? Just a little bit, but the flare-ups were still there. Lots of like pain in the lung. You know, I couldn't really do much without needing the albuterol. It was, my lungs were definitely having a moment. And you're an otherwise healthy person, right? At that point? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, wow. So let's, let's follow that path along a little bit. You, you're in the hospital with this terrible event uh, for a week, no memory of passing out. They're giving you asthma drugs. And then um, what, what happened next? Because something had to eventually lead to the SARC diagnosis. Yeah, so then I, I continued with my uh, general practitioner, you know, just our regular family doctor, and she was monitoring me for what they thought was asthma. Definitely was an asthma. <laughs> So a year later, almost to the day, same thing happens again. I end up with what I know now is a flare-up um, and hospitalized, oxygen, same thing. Um, they did a bunch of like x-rays and checked everything. Still really couldn't find anything. I mean, it wasn't showing up. They didn't give me a PET scan at that time. They had only given me an x-ray. Um, and so down the path we went again with asthma, but this time they did give me a small round of prednisone. Uh-huh, and that helped? It helped a small tiny bit because it was just like a, a short, you know, just a short quick stint, but uh, yeah. And then following the, um, following that, that second hospitalization, um, you know, credit, a little uh, credit goes to oh, our, our GP here. She was just, um, one of these doctors who's not necessarily looking at just the symptoms and she was extremely curious because as you said, you know, otherwise healthy individual never had a diagnosis like this before, saw the repeated event and was like, there's more here and mm -hmm. just kept going and yeah. going and going. And then eventually, mm -hmm. um, she, you know, the curiosity got the better of her, I think. And she just was like, we're going to order everything. We're going to order all the tests yeah. Yeah. and, yeah. So and did, and did yeah. the PET scans and then, okay. Yeah. So in between that, in between that hospitalization and us finding out there was another event oh. <laughs> and we were out, we were having dinner and I was just like, man, I don't feel good. Like I, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. I don't feel good. I feel like I can't breathe. I feel like I can't breathe. And so he rushed me to the emergency room. This time it was up at uh, the 
Northwestern, but the Evanston campus. And they brought me in. They gave me a ton of drugs because I, I couldn't even like, I was just like hyperventilating at that point. And they did an x-ray and they thought they found a little something, but they thought that it was cancer. They thought I had potentially like lung cancer. Yep. And so I went back to our GP and she's like, I knew something was funky here. Like I'm sending you for a PET scan. And so she was like, time for a PET scan. So that's when we found out she sent me for the PET scan. PET scan obviously showed sarcoid. And she chose uh, the uh, my specialist, who is now Dr. Russell over at Northwestern. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So you have a pulmonary specialist now. Mm-hmm. Right. I have We're a all I, 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 I joke because whenever they're like, "Do you have a doctor?" I'm like, "I have a fleet of doctors." Right. Right. <laughs> so I have I got a little bit of everybody. I have a pul- uh, my heart my uh, pulmonologist, so she specializes in cardi- in uh, sarcoidosis, and then I have a cardiologist, an electrophysiologist, a heart failure doctor, and my GP. Right, because we have to keep this story uh, progressing because, mm-hmm. um, so you, you were suffering from something. You got a, an official pulmonary mm-hmm. diagnosis in 2008. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then a couple of years ago, you're mentioning mm-hmm. heart doctors. What happened next? So I started to have like a little fluttering and I mentioned it to Dr. Russell and I was like, you know, my heart has been doing this little thing where I feel like there's like a butterfly kind of effect happening. And she's like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. And just like my gut was like, Mm-mm, it's not fine. So I bugged her again about it. And she's like, okay. You know, so there was like a good year of me bugging all my doctors. Like what, what is going on here? And so she said, okay, if it's still happening by November, we'll do like the full rundown and see what's going on. I said, all right, fine. I agree. So I had to wait three months. I remember I had to wait three months till November and then November came, we did the PET scan and boom, there it was cardiac sarcoidosis. So when you say cardiac, is it on a valve? Is it in the heart muscle? Where is it in your heart? (laughs) Everywhere. So I have like, yeah. So, so the valve, my valve is, is definitely weakened. Um, I, I, I joke that my clapping hands don't really clap. They kind of just go, you know, halfway and that's it. And then I, I have some thickening on the bottom uh, of my heart. Yeah, there's a few different uh, things going on. My uh, pump function is about, it ranges. Sometimes it's around 45. It's I've seen it go as high as maybe 60, but that's rare. Um, so, yeah. Um, hang on, I got a call coming in to get rid of that. Um, so... How, what does that live like? Oh, how, does that, how does that change your day to day? Oh, it is literally like you're saying day to day. So it's how am I going to wake up today? So I open my eyes and I'm like, how am I feeling today? You know, I, I can't work. Um, that's been really difficult uh, because I don't know how I'm going to wake up. I could wake up that day and not get out of the bed. I could wake up that day and feel like a million bucks and do a hundred things. It just depends on how my heart is doing. Wow. Dan, how is that as the caregiver? I mean, <laughs> you can say it sucks, but it's got to be hard, is. right? Yeah, no, I mean, it is what it is. We're here. We're in this together. This is what, uh, this, is the, this is the cards we have. We play the hands we have and, and we do it. You know, we're fortunate enough in that I have a, a successful career in advertising and, uh, you know, I'm able to support our family. We have, uh, you know, four kids who live with us and one who lives away. Um, 
but we've 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 always been uh, we've always been sort of together in this, and 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 there was a time where she worked, and um, that was you know obviously that was what it was. But then um, you know a couple of years ago, we looked at the business she was running, and we looked at her condition and the health, and um, we were just like you know maybe this is you know I I made some advancements in my career, and it was kind of like at that point, all right, let's let's start balancing the fact that we want you around for a lot longer <laughs> versus, yeah. you know, killing yourself doing a job. Let's, let's, let's think about this. And again, I, I recognize that we're extremely fortunate in that regard. Um, not everybody is, uh, which is, is where, you know, some of the, the charity work that we do comes into play because, you know, this diagnosis is um, terrifying for some people. And the fact that, you know, to your point earlier about it being a snowflake condition, somebody hears the diagnosis and that, they, you know, they don't recognize that maybe one day they're going to need five, six, seven specialists to, to help them get through this, that the disease doesn't know, you know, and has no organic boundaries or anything like that. So it, it you know, for us, it's about helping and educating and, and doing those things. But yeah, I mean, as a caregiver, you know, it's, it's constant communication with one another, um, understanding where she's at that day. And even if we had plans or even if we had, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a patience game. Yeah. You know, you just have to, you have to look at things on a day-to-day -day basis and say, all right, where are you at? Okay. You need to rest today. Cool. You got to rest. Like I'll, I'll take on some more of these things. And, um, selfishly, I can say that like, because of the current pandemic and situations that we're in and all of that stuff like I've I've had to work from home now for the last five months um and that's been uh has one of our children now <laughs> um, it's uh you know we we've we've certainly grown close closer in all of this um and uh but yeah I mean that's it, that's kind of where it's at for us we just sort of look at things on a day-to-day -day basis and find out where she's at where I'm at and we, we support each other in the ways that we can. Well, the, um, hang on just a second here. I'm sorry. Uh, you've got four kids at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and well, there's five, but he's, okay. he's at DePaul. Uh, so he's not here with us. He's oh, okay. Chicago, okay. That so makes mom Chicago. happy. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, wow. Uh, so that's, I mean, you guys are, Busy. Yeah, we're busy. <laughs> you're busy. Yeah. And Dan, you're in advertising. Are you uh, uh, an art director or a graphic artist? What do you do? In a former life, I was. Now I'm just a sales guy. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Got it. Got it. Um, but that's where the money is. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. um, I, well I, I dabbled in public relations for a while. I had a small agency here in town, so... Uh, just, just curious how that was playing out, um, and and I can uh, I can certainly identify with having multiple doctors because my SARC is on my spinal cord, so I see uh, I go to the Cleveland Clinic and okay, drive okay. seven hours to do that. Uh, so my main doctors are pulmonologists because that's what Cleveland kind of focuses in, uh, but then I have a neurologist, and then mm -hmm. hopefully I have a rheumatologist. So yep. oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And trying to get everybody on the same page sometimes is difficult. 
Um, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can relate to that. Yeah, getting doctors. I, I think at one point I was just like, Barb, you need to like call everybody, get a Zoom meeting together, and just be like, listen, y'all need to hash this shit out because everybody's <laughs> saying one thing, another thing, and like I'm one body, so yeah. right. We have right? To, you, oh. you guys got to agree with each other at this point. <laughs> yeah, and I, I had two doctors on one floor here in in Virginia, in Roanoke, Virginia. And I liked both doctors, but they would not talk to each other. And they were both, they were, one was a neurologist then and one was a rheumatologist. So they wouldn't talk to each other. Yeah. And yeah. I'm using my chart saying, would you guys, you know, they were, they were recommending different medicines and completely different divergent courses of care. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had to, thankfully, I think early on, I realized that with sarcoidosis, you definitely have to be like, on a level 1000 for self-advocacy because I feel like we would joke I would go to the emergency room and I'm like they're not gonna know what to do with me they're gonna be afraid they're gonna break me you know <laughs> and so that's kind of how it's been where like I have to go in and I'm like I have this I have this I have this I'm on this I'm on this I'm on, you know and I have to like know everything Right. Um, there's, I mean, there's been emergent situations yeah. where we've had to go to the emergency room. Maybe it's maybe it's a virus or something like that, and uh, and then we get there. And, and before we leave, it's like, all right, Barb, what do you want to do? Because we're gonna get there, and you're just gonna be like, we're not touching you. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So that and, that's been kind of difficult dealing yeah. with, like uh, when I do have a flare-up, um, and it's an emergency situation, kind of going in and explaining like okay, what's going on? Because sometimes they see me and then they see my heart and they freak out. <laughs> like, right, they're right. like running around and I'm like, guys, I promise you, I feel my heart pause every day. <laughs> you know, so they kind of, you know, go off the deep end. So I, I kind of have to like say, you know, like, no, I can't do that. Like my, uh, my prednisone, prednisone is a touchy one with me too because my pulmonologist doesn't want me going over a certain dose. But if I go to the ER, they want to give me like twice the dose that I normally would get. So I'm like, pause, no. And I feel like a lot of patients don't understand that you could, you can say no, you can right. say, talk to my doctor. You can't say, I'm not taking that. Like that is, you know, you have, you know, it's your place to say that. So it's yeah. been a lot trying to like navigate those waters and understand like, okay, this is what works for me, understanding what works for me and kind of just going down that path. Did you say you feel your heart stop every day? Oh yeah, there's definitely pauses. Yeah, yeah. Well, it feels feel like yeah. the way that I can describe it is, you know, when you take a big bite of food and you're swallowing and it's kind of stuck in your throat and you're like, mm -hmm. for that moment, that's what that's exactly what it feels like. So in that moment, I'm not breathing and my heart just pauses. Well, that's got to be scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's happened for so long that I just I get used to it. But when I'm hospitalized, they yeah, they, you know, they run in the room and they're free. They're like, are you okay? <laughs> you know, cause on their end, it looks like a, like a pause, you know, like yeah. a flat line. So they run in and I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I felt that. I know I felt it. Yeah. Have you ever had like a classic heart attack? Like where you had a heart attack? Like so they don't, they can't tell me if I've had a heart attack, but my heart shows damage of potentially maybe something that's happened in the past. Yeah. They so, did try, uh, my electrophysiologist did try to induce a, a heart attack. Um, so he fed a line and threw my groin up into my heart, tried to induce a heart attack and could not. Um, but yeah, I've definitely been tachycardia, bradycardia, all of them, like 
every single kind. I mean, I've had extremely low heart rate, extremely high heart rate. I mean, if you look at my heart rate, it just looks like you just drew a bunch of squiggly lines. It's wow. not, it's, there's not a lot of consistency yeah. to it, you know, uh, and one of the things that we do, again, this is sort of like one of those patient, like advocacy moments, but like at home we have, um, we have a pulse oximeter, we have a blood pressure cuff, we have, um, Thermometer, there's, a, there's a piece of technology that is like an EKG that connects to your iPhone. Um, and so, you know, she'll, when she's feeling certain ways, she'll start, you know, charting these things. Mm -hmm. and, and then if something were to happen, and that's more like a preventative thing, but if something were to happen, we go to the hospital and it's like, here's my EKGs, here's my temperature, here's my blood pressure, here's my pulse ox. And, and like it, the, the sort of learning curve that they can skip over as a result of having all that data like on hand is, you know, it, it just allows her to get to treatment that much faster. Um, and the accessibility of some of this technology now is, is I mean, it's, it's very, like, it's democratized that sort of medicine, you know, in, in terms of just, like, understanding what the numbers are and, and helping you get the help you need quicker. Um, you know, they're going to they're gonna do everything in the hospital they can, but at the, at the point that you can say, you know, maybe it's telemedicine because of COVID-19, like, they don't want her going into the hospital at this yeah. point. So if she's having moments with her heart or breathing or something like that, she can call her specialist, she can my chart them, she can say, hey, here's a scan, take a look at it, you know, and, and then they can have a dialogue about what the next best appropriate steps are. Yeah. So I want to circle back to, to, you know, where you are right now and your prognosis sure. going forward. But, but one of the things I want to talk about today is Dan, you have become sort of a super fundraiser for the Foundation <laughs> for Sarcoidosis Research on your bicycle and I'm a, I'm a cyclist. Uh, I'm not riding the kind of miles that, that you seem to be, but you know, I probably ride a couple thousand miles a year. So, um, more than me right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but that's, you know, that's my limit. Uh, I, I work really hard to get in 50 miles a, a week in the, in the month of July and, and just did that. So I wanted to ride 200 miles in July. Good so for you. Yeah. Well, it's either been too raining or hot. Um, yeah. so, but yeah, so it's been difficult, but it finally, finally got it done. Uh, and I have a, a blog that I have written that, that a lot of SARC patients have found called cycling with sarcoidosis, where I've talked about how I tried to ride and, and either because of prednisone or chemo or the various things that they were giving me, you know, how I'm doing it at any given time. And I, I put that out there. So I think it's cathartic for me to, to just kind of talk about it. Um, but also because I know that there have to be a few cyclists out there who are um, who are trying to ride through whatever it is that they have. And if it's pulmonary SARC or cardiac SARC like you have, it's got to be even harder. Um, but uh, so I, I, anyway, I just mentioned that. But but Dan, I, I'm really intrigued with what you're doing with your fundraising. So you've been riding your bike and then raising money for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. How is, tell us how that sort of evolved. And uh, I know you've raised at one point, what, $10,000? Yeah, it's a total we've raised so far. It's just over ten grand um, this year. We, uh, you know, so the, the way it all started is I've always, I've always liked cycling. Um, I, I used to live in New York. It was one of my primary modes of transportation when I was in doing my undergrad. 
Um, I moved to Chicago. I, I, I tell people I got a car and I got a desk job and I got fat. <laughs> 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 and that, uh, you know, candidly, um, and that that went uh, that went on too long. Um, so about four years ago, I made the decision to have bariatric surgery. Um, at one point, I was over three hundred and fifty pounds. What? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I went through the surgery, um, and one of the primary motivators, aside from getting healthy and living, you know, better lifestyle for my family, was to to get back on a bike again. Um, I had a uh, an uncle who passed away uh, when I was younger of a heart attack because um, I, I don't know. It was like a all this is foggy. It was really young when this happened. Um, but I, I sort of remember him at like a family reunion being like, I'm going to get, I'm going to work out. I'm going to get strong again. You know, like all this other, and, and then he went home and worked out and had a heart attack, um, because he pushed himself too far. And so I had this fear of getting healthy and getting active because I was afraid I was going to kill myself. Um, so that was sort of the, the impetus for the bariatric surgery and the getting healthy and, and the primary motivator, um, you know, again, aside from the family was, was getting back on a bike. Um, so after the surgery uh, and the recovery phase and all of that stuff, I bought a garbage bike. <laughs> and I was like, if I can ride all through the winter on this bike, um, then I'll buy myself a nice road bike. Uh, and so I did. And um, and, you know, as a result of getting that road bike and, and wanting to be on it more and more, um, there was a small foundation, uh, a small charity ride that was essentially a two day ride from Chicago to New Buffalo, Michigan. It's about 130 miles. Uh, and it was to, you know, service underprivileged kids um, in an art in an art program in sort of the the collar counties around Chicago. And uh, we did that. It was fun. It was I was successful. Uh, I finished um, you know, in, 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 in a good time. And, uh, and on that ride, I don't know, you, you're, you're sitting on a bike for a long number of hours. You start thinking you're all alone. And, uh, I said, Hey, this might be a good opportunity to raise money for a foundation. Um, and so the idea was sort of born. I talked to Barb and, um, you know, the, the, the foundation, the charity is called 5,000 miles. Um, the cycling equivalent of a marathon is a century. It's a hundred mile bike ride. Um, and we decided, Hey, let's do one in every state, 50, 50 states, hundred miles, 5,000 miles. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a romanticist. So, you know, 50 states, 5,000 miles, $50,000 was sort of the goal. Um, and we're 11 states in and we've raised about, uh, you know, like I said, just over $10,000 for the foundation. Um, you know, it's been, uh, it's been great. It's been, you know, we've done a number of states around the Illinois area. Um, and then we've traveled a bit to go to some of the other sort of far reaching states. Um, and they've been, they've been great. I mean, it's, it's a good chance for us to raise awareness about the disease, to meet other, you know, like-minded people cycling, you know, I, a lot of people have a misconceived notion that cycling is a, an individual sport. Um, it's not it's definitely like a team sport especially when you consider like the ability to draft other people and you know you're working in a group or what they call a peloton um you know people will take turns in the front and so you develop like a camaraderie of, along these long rides with the the group of riders that you happen to be in um and you talk and you you know converse and you have breaks and you stop and you share food and, you know there's all this sort of um you know 
uh, opportunity to discuss what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and, and it's, uh, it's been, it's been a lot of fun for us. Um, and then COVID happened <laughs> and, and traveling is not something that we're, we're doing anymore. So at the beginning of the year, we started, uh, the year with a plan to do eight States this year. Um, California was in February. Uh, so we did that ride down in Palm Springs. And then as we got back, it, as everyone sort of well knows, March was sort of the, the, um, I guess the, the, the moment where COVID sort of took over the everything. COVID ground um, zero, as it were. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, a lot of the rides, boom, 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 started getting canceled or postponed. And, you know, we're looking at these things or we're watching it. We're just like, the, the season's falling apart in front of us. Um, and so we ended up having a conversation with Angela, a uh, freelander from the foundation, and we had discussed um, potentially doing like a, an indoor ride on World Sarcoidosis Day. And, and sort of the idea for that happened like right at the, the, like the week before uh, World Sarcoidosis Day. And it ended up not going off. But she was like, hey, listen, what about Giving Tuesday? And I was like, what about Giving Tuesday? <laughs> like, well, what is Giving Tuesday? Um, and so we had a conversation about that and I said, listen, you know, if we want to do this, like I'm happy to jump on a Peloton and do a hundred mile ride on my Peloton in my living room. We can live stream it. Um, Barb ended up taking over the SFR uh, Instagram account that day right. and sharing images of the ride and, and the, the, the money we were raising for the foundation. And I think collectively across 5,000 miles and direct donations to SFR. Um, we raised <laughs> over, I think it was like over $4,500 that day. Wow. Um, so some of those donations came in through 5,000miles.us. Some of them came direct mm -hmm. to, um, to FSR as a result of some of the email promotions that they were doing. Um, but it was, a, by all intents and purposes, it was an incredibly successful day. Uh, I finished in about five and a half hours, which is great on an, on an indoor, on an indoor bike. Cause yeah. there, there's differences, you know, like when you're on a road bike, you can get up speed, you can coast, you know, you, there's yeah. obviously up and downhill. Yeah, you didn't um, stop pedaling. Yeah. On an indoor ride, you can't stop pedaling. <laughs> right. Right, we've got a no here too. So I, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was quite the day. It was very, very emotional. Um, right. You know, having all the kids around having, you know, Barb did a great job of, taking over the Instagram account and sharing not only information about her diagnosis, but also mental health awareness because um, that month was mental health awareness month. And so, um, you know, that's, I, I think that's a, another aspect of sarcoidosis that, you know, while you're talking about direct diagnosis and treatment, there's a mental aspect to it yeah. that takes a massive toll. Yeah. Um, you know, not, not knowing what the next day is going to hold from a health perspective, not having that consistency can take an enormous toll on you. So, you know, the importance of mental health was also something that we tried to highlight with the ride. Um, and yes, I mean, it's just, it's been a, getting everybody involved was fun too. It's yeah. been a, it's been a, a good thing. And we, and we don't know what the future holds for the rides. Like, I mean, COVID is not, it's clearly not something that's going away in two weeks. Um, but for now, you know, uh, a lot of the rides got postponed. All the organizers were very, very generous with the, the money that we had for entry fees and things like that. And so they, um, everything's been rolled over, postponed to next year. So we'll figure out what, what happens and what the future looks like for that. 
Um, I told Angela, and I, I say I'm always down to get on my bike and ride for a long time. So, <laughs> okay. so we'll figure. You know, we'll see what the future holds for it. I, I would love to finish the 50 states. Um, there was some uh, a really good ride happening in Hawaii that's supposed to go. Oh, off. we were so bummed. That was supposed to go <laughs> off in September. That was just canceled. So, um, you know, for every Hawaii, there's also an Alaska. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, really. We'll see what happens. Wow. Well. Um, let's make plans and I'll go with you for one of those. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't done Virginia yet. I, I, you know, when we get, when we get to Virginia, I'll shoot you a message. We can do it together. There's, there's a couple of good ones. There's a, uh, well, we'll, we'll talk about that. Too. I don't want to <laughs> listeners. We get going on bicycling and they'll forget this is a sarcoidosis podcast. Uh, for sure. But, uh, and we actually. It's a, it's a, a funny joke. Do you know how you can tell somebody's into cycling? Wait 15 minutes and they'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I haven't heard that one before. Uh, but yeah, I love it. Uh, we're, um, we're taking, I'm leaving tomorrow to go to Vermont. Um, by the time listeners hear this, I'll already be in Vermont and we're going with another couple and we're all taking gravel bikes and we're going to go find some, some rail trails and maybe some, uh, some legitimate Vermont gravel roads and, and Fun. that. So, um, but at any rate, um, Barbara wanted to get back to you because, sure. um, you, uh, and, and congratulations to you for supporting uh him on on this bicycle thing with the with the instagram yeah. takeover what kind of pictures yeah. did you show that day oh we showed a lot yeah. so we I, I started kind of posting beforehand on the 5000 page um and the day of we started kind of posting like where we were like the donations coming in um and so fsr handled like the posting on the on the actual page and then I started posting on the stories. Um, and then right. periodically we would go live and people could kind of tune in and ask questions and kind of just join in on the fun. And then we went live again as he was like finishing the 100 miles for like the big celebration. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we have a, uh, a bike ride here that I helped start the Blue Ridge Grand Fondo. And unfortunately, we don't have a 100 mile option. But we have an 89 mile option. Uh, but I raised money uh, for that last year, I have the benefit of being a local television news anchor. So, uh, and I raised $4,500, but it took me oh, heck yeah. a couple of months to, to get up to that. Um, and viewers were very nice and friends and relatives and whatnot. You know how it goes. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah. So um, bike, bicycling can, can lead to good outcomes. So, so Barb, you are coasting along. I, I say that, um, you know, uh, just, metaphorically yeah. you, and all of a sudden your pulmonary becomes cardio what what yeah. happened with your heart and, and how did that evolve how did that feel and how did they figure it out so when I found out that the diagnosis was cardiac sarcoidosis I was floored because I already knew because I had already kind of felt a little fluttering and stuff I'd done a ton of research and read a bunch of like Dan knows, like, I researched the heck out of everything. Like, I'm, like, reading medical journals and stuff. So right. I already knew that it was rare to have a diagnosis prior to a heart attack, like, before a cardiac event. And so I was extremely lucky to just be super in tune with my body and pick up on that tiny little change of – I mean, it was so minute. People would never even notice. It was just, like, a tiny little – 
flutter, you know? And so when that diagnosis came in, I, I kind of wasn't like, oh my God, because I kind of already knew, like I had already done a bunch of research and I was like, oh, this is looking more and more like cardiac. And so I, I was shocked <laughs> for a moment, but I was just like, okay, this is exactly what I expected. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a difficult one to, to live with. It's the pulmonary, you know, I, I was having breathing issues and I could get through, but, you know, heart involvement is a whole another ball game, you know, cause your, your heart is, is everything for your body. It's, it's yeah. control yeah. of your whole body. So I, yeah, if, you if my heart is off that or, day, I'm off. I mean, did you, did you just go to your, your doctor and say, well, something's not right with my heart. Or did you have an episode like you did where you passed out in the shower with the pulmonary? No, I just, I just felt that flutter. I just felt the flutter. Um, and then I remember one day I was sitting on the couch um, and our, our now eight year old was, she was much smaller and I was just kind of hanging out with her and I felt like a little dizzy. I was like, huh, I, I'm feeling a little lightheaded. And I remember I called him that day and I was like, I'm not feeling too well. Like, I feel like my heart's a little fluttery. I'm feeling a little lightheaded. And so I just kept pushing my doctors and kept pushing. Cause they're like, you're fine. Everything looks fine. And I'm like, no, I don't feel fine. I'm telling you. So then they, um, Dr. Kikos ordered a uh, Dr. Russell put me in touch with Dr. Hikos and Dr. Hikos ordered a, uh, Holter monitor. And so I wore the monitor for a while and they were like, Oh, you know, you're having some PVCs, but it's not like in, I, I wore it for like, I don't know, like one or two weeks or something like that. Right. And I only had like a handful. So they were still kind of like, eh, it's not really, you know, anything to be worried about because it's not too many. But I was just like, my gut was saying, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. So we just kept, we kept pushing and they did the scan and there it was. And then they put another monitor on me and, you know, there, there were more. And so as time progressed, I started to have more and more and more. Um, but I think there was only one time where I felt really, 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 really badly. And he rushed me to the emergency room and I was hospitalized. Um, and that was, I think about a week I was hospitalized for a week and that's when they decided, okay, we're going to switch medications. Cause they already knew I had uh, cardiac sarcoidosis, but I had like a really bad episode and that's when they hospitalized me and they decided to put me on a really, um, strong heart med. I was on Sotalol prior to that for my diagnosis up until this event. And then when this event happened, they switched me to, uh, or sorry, I was on Metaprolol before, and then they switched me to Sotalol. So I had to be hospitalized for the week because it's such a heavy drug that mm. they had to hospitalize me to watch me to see my body regulate. They saw my my heart stop <laughs> that week. So they knew, okay, we need to get this girl on some heart meds. Yeah, something stronger than the Metaprolol. Yeah. So you are you taking heart meds as well as SARC meds? Yeah, so I'm on quite a bit. So I'm on, um, oh gosh, okay, I'm on daily preventive inhaler. Inhaler, yep. I'm on um, albuterol as needed. I'm on pantoprazole for my stomach now because lots of steroid usage, my esophagus, and all that's a wreck. Um, I'm on the sotalol, and I'm also on azathioprine and immunosuppressant to keep me low. And so, you know, keep my immune nice and low. And then depending on where I'm at, they will throw more stuff in. So I'm not on prednisone right now because I'm in good shape, but
but if anything happens, then, you know, I go right back on prednisone and, you know, depending mm -hmm. on whatever I need. Breathing yeah. meds. So if my uh, pulmonary sarcoidosis is out of whack, they, I definitely go on the nebulizer treatments right away because usually I cannot breathe. Uh, so yeah, it just depends. <laughs> different cocktails for different moments of what I'm feeling at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm on uh, Humira and azathioprine right now. Yep, 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 yep. So, uh, yeah, uh, but, but it's way better than, than last year when I was on 80 milligrams of prednisone a day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Plus, and then there's the uh, whole weight gain and toxin. fatigue oh, yeah. and all that that comes with prednisone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much you, I had, you know, I'm on TV every night and my face just started puffing oh, up. Oh, the moon face. Oh, viewers <laughs> yeah. are like, oh, bless your heart. What's wrong with you? Yeah. And it happens so fast. You know, it's like you're having like an allergic reaction to bees. Yeah. Just everything just explodes. Yeah. Been so, there. Definitely have been there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we actually had to do a story about me to just because I continued to work through it all we had to tell viewers what was going on. Just, yeah. just couldn't hide it anymore. Mm -hmm. it was ridiculous and oh the mood swings and the mental health and all the things you guys are yeah. talking about it's so real oh, so absolutely. real and oh my poor wife she's a saint she is a saint for putting yeah, up and my co-workers um yeah it's a, it's a roller coaster for sure because yeah. A lot of emotions. I have a, uh, I have a therapist. She's wonderful. I see her um, sometimes once every two weeks, sometimes every week, whatever I'm needing at the moment. But there's a lot of, I think what people don't realize with this diagnosis is there's a lot of mourning that happens um, yeah. because you can't do things. I've always been super active. The business that I had that I left was uh, high end event planning. So I very high stress job. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I had to walk away from that, but I've always been like a very creative person, a very social person, definitely always have like, you know, a mile list of, you know, things that I would like to do. And I had to start ticking off that list of things I can't do. Um, and so there's almost like a mourning period that happens where you're like in a little bit of a depression because you can't do the things that you want to do or could do or you know things like that so yeah it's a, it's a definite difficult you, mental you are you're literally mourning the loss of the life you once had bingo yeah bingo. yeah and i had to i had to address a lot of that as well oh yeah just like just like you you know i was one of these people with a long to-do list and we talked about the bicycling and you know i was a, oh, yeah. you know, a decent marathon runner for a while and now i can't run across the street so yeah because I've, I've lost the uh, the dexterity and in, mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. my legs from the from the lack of uh, signals from my brain to the lower extremes of my body. So uh, I and I've talked to therapists about that same thing. And then mourning, mm -hmm. you're the first person other than me that's talked about actually mourning. Yeah, yeah. I think the first time that it happened, we were going to Australia with our son, and um, I went to the doctor. You know, like it was one of those like moments where you're just like not even thinking that this is not an option for you because in your head you're like ah, I can totally do this and so I took her the paperwork from the travel company uh asking for permission health permission for uh scuba diving and it had been something that was like a dream of mine to always go scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef and my doctor looked at me and she just laughed like she she was like, you're kidding me, right? Like, she's like, no, that, that you, you can't do that. Like, that's not an option for you. 
like you, where your lungs are, you, you just can't. So she said the only thing that she would approve me for was snorkeling. And I remember getting in the car and crying my eyes out and calling him and crying my eyes out because I was just like, <gasps> it was that first moment where someone else was telling me I couldn't do something because of my health. And I've never, I, I'm one of those people that's like, I'll do whatever I want. What? you know? <laughs> and right. if you challenge me, I'm like, I'm going to do it even more. And I'm going to do it 10 times better. Watch me. So for someone to tell me you can't do that was really, really difficult. And that was like the first moment where I had to like mourn like a life goal and just kind of like accept that, okay, I'm going to be there. I'm going to snorkel. It's going to be great. And Dan was so amazing because he was signed up for it. And he's like, no, if you're not going, I'm not going. And I cried again because I was just like, oh my God, you know. And, and one of the things that she always says that, um, you know, we remind ourselves of is, um, and this is something that's especially poignant for me is like, um, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you, you, you have to adapt. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, uh, and again, certainly in today's world that we're living in, you know, adaptation is, is topic du jour and it's something that everybody talks about, but with this disease, um, you know, forget about staying at home and working versus not work. You know, it's like, there's, there's things that come up every day. That's like, you know yeah. what? No. And, and she has to remind herself, like, just because I could do this yesterday, doesn't mean I'm going to be able to do it tomorrow. Yeah. And she can't, you can't like, she's very good at like not destroying her morale and her self-esteem. Not to say it doesn't get to her because mm -hmm. it obviously does, but, um, yeah, she's, she's really good at reminding herself that like you can't compare your former self to your current self. Every single day is a new day and we're grateful to be here. We're grateful to be alive and breathing and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just got to take it for what it is and, and move on and adapt yeah. to, to, to whatever. And I, I personally hate this phrase, <laughs> but moving into like the idea of whatever the new normal is, yeah. you know, it is it kind of it's there. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe there's a reaction I have to that phrase because every day is a new normal, <laughs> but it's kind of one of those things that like you, you mm -hmm. cannot compare yourself. Um, and she's right. You know, just, just taking it for what it is and understanding where we are today and what, what, what the current system, you know, current capability is today and, 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 and adapting and moving yeah. on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that uh, comparison is the thief of joy. I actually said that to my wife this week at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you bring it up. It's like, yeah, that's, man, that's, uh, it's just so true. It's just so yeah, true. Yeah, and it's hard because you see other patients and you see what they're doing. And sometimes you're like, wow, like he or she's doing a lot. Like I can't do that today. So sometimes it's hard, you know, but you kind of just have to go with, you know, whatever you're feeling that day. I mean, before yeah. my diagnosis of cardiac sarcoidosis, I used to walk seven miles Monday through Friday with my two toddlers in the stroller for five days a week with my pulmonary diagnosis because wow. my car, my uh, pulmonologist was like, you know, work your lungs. It's great to work the lung um, and get it moving. And I really did see a difference and I really did feel different. And I felt like, wow, this is really helping me. It was not only, I didn't realize that it was helping me physically, but it was actually helping me emotionally too, because it was almost like a daily release of like, oh, you know, and of course you're receiving those, those lovely endorphins and you're ready to go, you know, but then I got the diagnosis of cardiac sarcoidosis and it's been a little bit more difficult with that, you know, like 
I can still walk, but it's more like three miles and it takes me twice as long, you know, but I can still get out there and I can still walk and I, I still try to be active and, and try to, even if it's just home, you know, trying to do a little each day to like stay active. Right. Do you feel guilty when you see the other SARC patients that can't do that? And I do feel bad. Yeah, I do feel bad because I've seen uh, many patients, you know, really having a really tough time. Um, I took a, a calligraphy class that I was like, oh, I really want to take calligraphy. And so he gave it to me as a gift one year. And there was only four students in the class. And then one student didn't show up. So it was just three of us. And what are the odds? One of the women has or she has uh, sarcoidosis uh, in her eye. And wow. so, you know, they were like, tell us a little bit about yourself. And I, you know, start talking about myself and why I'm here and, you know, health and all that. And she's like, are you kidding me? I have sarcoidosis too. And it was really difficult because she couldn't see. And so to see patients who are enduring things like that, it's really difficult. It's really, really difficult. Wow, yeah. Um... Uh, I joined the, the FSR advisory board or whatever, advocate board, um, and met some folks. And uh, you're, you're on the board also, or are you an advocate? Yep. yep. Just, we just are we're, not, we're not on the board, but we, we do the charity work with them. We've actually looked at um, some of the advocacy things that they do and, and some of the um, like patient uh, you know, but we, we're not officially and we're not doing those things yet. Yeah. So, well, I just did it this year. We had a meeting. Uh, it was, it's not a board. It's just a, a group of advocates. Yeah. Uh, and, but I, you know, I got there and met some people and we're all in this meeting and they're giving, you know, one woman is giving herself a shot during the meeting because yeah. she do that every day. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, I'm feeling sorry for myself. But there's a lot of people here who are in, you know, are much worse shape, but yeah, you know, but there's still that morning. There's, you know, like that's that snowflake disease. It's, it affects everybody yeah. differently. There's no two similar cases. And, uh, you know, but when you're used to being active, it's hard to tell yourself that you can't be active. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's, I think that's been one of the most difficult things is just kind of like right. taking each day <laughs> and saying like, okay, what can I do today? And he's been great. You know, like if we have plans, he's like, only if you're feeling okay, you know? So I don't have that pressure of, okay, I have to be there, I have to go. And my family has been great too. Like they totally get it. And you know, they're like, no, if you don't feel good, like you don't have to, to be there. And I've missed family events. I've missed birthdays. I've been hospitalized during weddings and births and this and that. And, and that's been hard, but you know, everybody has been wonderful and very understanding. And they just kind of are just like, yeah. We're in your corner. We want you to get better. <laughs> you have to embrace the audible. <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. There you go. To borrow a football metabor. <laughs> right, right. I you have to be able to pivot and, and move on. And all right, we're not doing that today. It's okay. We'll do it next week or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah. And we've been really great with like when something happens, it's this like immediate like separation of, of duties. So like if, if I call him and I'm like, I'm heading in. I have a bag that's in my closet that I call my hospital bag. Like a woman has a pregnancy bag, you know, like when they're about to give birth, I have a hospital bag ready at all times. Last year in 2019, I was hospitalized four times and I probably went into the ER maybe like six or seven times really? maybe. Um, 
the four times that I was hospitalized, a few of them were pneumonia, it should, you know, no immune system. So you get a cold and it like, you know, spirals down into pneumonia. And then in February it was, I believe that one was heart related. Um, but yeah, I have a bag ready to go, but if something happens, it's kind of like, Hey, I'm heading in. And he's like, okay, let me know when you get there. And we kind of like divide and conquer. And my job is to be there and do what I need to do. And his job is to manage the kids. So we, you know, we just kind of divide and his job is being really understanding. They know what's going on family knows what's going on. My mother-in-law has flown up a few times to, to care for the kids so that I can see him, you know, because I still want to see him and right. the kids will visit me. If it's allowed, if the doctors allow, they'll visit me. And so I think this year, yeah, this year I, I was hospitalized this year on my birthday. Um, no, no, no. Valentine's day, Valentine's day. And last year I was hospitalized on my birthday. So we celebrated my birthday in the hospital. They brought me cake. <laughs> And so a lot of, a lot, a lot of things have to happen. You know, we have to like adapt and just kind of like celebrate that way. Yeah. Right. Right. Wow. Um, that, that is a lot. That's, yeah. that's a lot. So um, I, I just want to go back to your trip to Australia. Uh, yeah. I like to snorkel as well. And uh, seeing the Great Barrier Reef is also one of my bucket list things. Did, did at least there come a point when you're snorkeling and you're looking down, and I'd like to, like to know what you saw, where you thought, well, <laughs> I'm beating sarcoidosis because I'm here and I'm doing this. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Afterwards, you know, we were discussing, like, the yeah. difference between I, – so I grew up in South Florida. I grew up in the water. I could swim before I could walk, yeah. uh, all of those things. And, you know, um, afterwards – we were on our on the boat ride back to the the shore and you know she was having a, a little bit of moment and i was like barb we did it like we saw the great barrier yeah. reef we were here we we saw you know we didn't see the whole thing because yeah. it's like the entire coast of australia but we were here we did it yeah. like we saw it this yeah. is you know check that box we're good yeah. um but yeah no go ahead yeah and i don't i don't feel like i missed anything which was awesome i mean we saw some incredible things. I mean, we saw a giant clam, probably the size of a small car. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible. It was a clear day. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, when you travel and you're on these, you know, you go on trips or something like that. Mm -hmm. you, like when we were, we went, we did Mexico. a similar thing in Mexico yeah. and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face yeah. because they had had a storm the day before and it kicked up all the dirt. So we were fortunate enough that the weather was nice. It didn't rain. There was good visibility in the water. Like all of those things happened. Everything sort of lined up for yeah. us the right way. And, and it worked out good. We saw it. You know, that was, it was yeah, fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like every time. Fish? I'm sorry. Did you see a clownfish? We did not see I a clownfish. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huh. yeah. I'm a, a saltwater aquarium guy too. So. Nice. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's so, uh, and I like I like to snorkel, and at some point I I I started with scuba diving lessons once, and I just the weather got bad, and, and we I didn't finish it. So yeah, um, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I think we've just kind of like it sucks every time I'm told I can't do something. Of course, but I kind of just put all my energy and effort into what I can do. That's the next step. I'm like, okay, I'm worn all right, let's move on. <laughs> I'll like look at what I can do. And then we'll just go, we're, we're all in kind of people. So we're just going full throttle. And so we've, we've snorkeled quite a bit. We've done snorkeling um, in uh, Australia. We've done it in Cuba. We've done it in Mexico. 
Oh gosh, did we do it in the Dominican Republic? Belize. 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 And, and, and Belize was one of those moments where that was the aha moment. When we were in Belize, I remember um, the uh, the boat operator, a little tour guide was like, all right, there's sharks and um, we're going to feed them and you can jump in and swim with them. And Dan looks at me and I was like, I'm doing it. I'm jumping in. You know? <laughs> and so I think one thing that, that sarcoidosis definitely has brought out in me is that I'm ready. I'm ready to do anything. Like I'm totally, I'm ready to go. So, you know, before I kind of was a little bit more timid. And if somebody was like, Oh, do you, you want to go like jump off a cliff into this hole? I'd be like, no, no way. No way. Absolutely. No. Uh, yeah. But now with sarcoid and cardiacs with the pulmonary and the cardiac, I'm kind of just like live every day. I know it's so cliche, but live every day to the fullest. So if we have any opportunities, I'm just ready to go. So you know, in the, in, uh, in Belize, when he's like, do you want to jump in with the sharks? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm jumping. <laughs> so I jumped in and it was amazing. Um, and in, uh, Aruba, there was like a little kind of cliff that you had to like climb over and under it through all these like crazy jagged rocks to jump into like a natural formed pool. Uh-huh. And, um, I was like, I would never have done that. Never, <laughs> never like before sarcoidosis, never, never. I would have said, no, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. And that day I was like, I'm jumping in. I'm ready. Let's go. And my kids are like, I don't know, mom. And I'm like, let's go. We're doing it. (laughs) We're jumping in this crazy hole. So we all did it and it was fantastic. So I think like that's definitely been nice to kind of just like let go, you know, and just enjoy everything that I can possibly enjoy. Right. Now, every, every bike ride I take, I'm like, I just beat sarcoidosis one more time. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. And that's that's kind of the way I look at it. And I also have found that I find um, I find peace and tranquility and hope just like sitting on the deck listening to the birds sometimes. Yeah. That was oh, yeah. I never would have done. You know, I was like, yeah. you know, I'm not going to slow down long enough to listen to the birds. It sounds yeah. corny even saying it out yeah. loud. But, you know. Um, no, I agree 100 percent. yeah i said we have a back patio and in the mornings i'll go out there and i'll listen to the birds and we get, we get a lot of cardinals and the second i hear the cardinals i jump out but i totally agree with you like i led a very go 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 kind of life uh prior to and didn't really slow down and i definitely have slowed down a lot and enjoyed things on a completely different level and I look around now and see a lot of folks just like on the, on the track, you know, choo-choo, chugging along, like everything is a blur. And I'm just like, slow down, slow down, you know? So I definitely, yeah. 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 I, I've got, I've got, you know, television newsroom. I got a bunch of people like that. They're young too. Yeah. I'm the old man in the newsroom and I'm like, yeah, I remember being like that. You know? They go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. Story. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, and I, I can get through to some of them. I'm like, just slow down just for one day. And then they're like, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> I'm like, you see, it doesn't always have to be this like million miles a minute thing, you know? Right. Right. That's funny. Well, guys, thank you. Uh, Dan, I know you'll send me all of your fundraising information and I can put it in the show notes. Uh, and yeah, I'll, uh, I'll email it to you as soon as we go. All right, folks can follow you guys where on Instagram? Is there a, a link? Yeah, it's uh, Instagram.com or you know Instagram, and the account is uh, 5,000, the number, so 5000 miles.us. 
And that's also the website. So www.5000miles.us. Um, that links to our GoFundMe page, which is uh, which you can make donations to the the, the charity uh, to us, and then those donations are mm-hmm. um, you know sent to the charity FSR. Uh, none of the money goes to us; it all goes directly to FSR. Um, and then uh, obviously you can follow us on Instagram uh, on the website, and then both of us have our own individual accounts as yeah. well. Yeah, and we do fund we do some fun stuff periodically, like one race. We uh, everybody who donated over $25 got a t-shirt. Um, we've done stickers. We, we try to keep it fun and we do all kinds of different little things. So stay tuned because we're always cooking yeah. up something. All right. <laughs> yeah. That all sounds fun. And so, uh, yeah, send all that information to me and I'll put it in the show notes and, and listeners can, can check it out. In the meantime, I would just say, uh, Dan, keep pedaling and Barb, <laughs> I hope you have more, uh, better, Good days than bad ones. Uh, you look great today. Uh, just, I'm feeling good. Today's a good day. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And thanks for sharing your story here on the Sark Fighter Podcast. Thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having us, John. Thanks again to uh, Barbara and Dan for sharing their stories. And Barbara, uh, hang in there. You're, you're doing great. Uh, you look great this morning. Uh, of course, we did the Zoom interview, so I was able to see you. The, the viewers were not able to. Um, but I will be posting on the Sark Fighter uh, Instagram page some, some images from our interview. And you guys heard Dan say that he got up to 350 pounds. And you'll want to look at some of those pictures because uh, he looks like a stick right now. I can't imagine this guy ever weighing 350 pounds because he looks super buff and super fit and and like some of the the cyclists that you are used to seeing people who ride their bikes a lot and you know don't have any extra weight on their body at all anyway you'll you look at the pictures on Instagram I'll be posting a few of them and and you can see but but hang in there Barbara a couple of takeaways from that interview the fact that she has to keep a hospital bag packed because she never knows when she has to jump up and go to the hospital because her pulmonary or heart-related sarcoidosis issues are going to flare up. She has multiple stays in the hospital every year, but she is staying active. They're going places. COVID has restricted that, but sarcoidosis hasn't. Um, And I love the fact that she says she's more inclined to do scary things that she never would have done before, uh, including jumping into the water with feeding sharks in Belize. Uh, Wow. Um, Yeah, I guess when you feel like you never know what the next day is going to be like, you might as well enjoy life to its fullest. And when you have the chance to safely jump in the water with sharks that are feeding on something other than humans in Belize, why not do that? Uh, I'd like to think that maybe I would. Uh, But then she also, kind of like me, it's like you can just get out on the deck and you hear the birds sing and you think, you know, this is life and, and there's... Uh, you know, that's, that's my version of stop and smell the roses. And so I asked her if she was doing that and, and she had the same exact experience I did. So stop and listen to the birds sing. Why not? And then the other thing is, uh, another takeaway is that, uh, the mental health issues and the fact that you're in mourning and you're mourning the loss of the life that you once had. And Barbara said that is very much 
something that she has had to deal with, and she has a therapist, and, and she is working through that. And I've heard that from, from other SARC patients, and, and I have dealt with that myself. Um, and then um, Dan mentioned that comparison is the thief of joy, which is something that that is it's so true. You compare your life now to your life. For me, you know, it'll come up on, oh, here's Facebook. Here's where you were five years ago. Well, guess what? Five years ago, I didn't have SARC. Five years ago, I was doing all these amazing things. And you look at that and you think, mm, you know, I just have to look at life today, the way it is today, and not try to compare it to five years ago. And because it's the thief of joy. And that, that definitely can happen, so you have to be aware of that. But on the other hand, what I saw was a person who was upbeat, who has learned to take it one day at a time and is dealing with this and has a system in place where, you know, some days it's going to be like this and some days it's going to be like this. And then, of course, all of Dan's fundraising and his cycling and uh, the ways that you can help him raise money to fight sarcoidosis, all the information will be in the show notes. So thanks so much to uh, Barbara and Dan for sharing uh, their story. Uh, I hope that if you are listening in this, that you are finding this podcast helpful. People are willing to come on. They're talking about their lives. They're sharing intimate details. And the idea is that it gives all of us perspective about how sarcoidosis is affecting other people's lives and we can compare it to our own lives and maybe see that you know other people are doing and other people are succeeding and other people are suffering just like we are and it, it just gives you that little bit of comfort in knowing that you're not alone so thanks to barbara and dan thanks to everybody for listening that's all for this episode until next time keep fighting wherever there is happiness fight to be there too and remember there are friendly smiles try hard to smile too and wherever there is sunshine don't let fear darken you and whatever